0: Om sahana vavatu sahana bhunaktu sa viryam karavavahai tejasvinavadhitamastu Om shanti 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 Om may the lord protect us both teacher and the taught together May the Lord protect us by giving us the results of knowledge. May we attain vigour together. Let what we study be illuminating. May we not cavil at each other. Oh, peace, peace, peace. So we are studying the, the Kathopanishad. And um, we are in the second chapter. The structure of the Upanishad is uh, two chapters, each with three sections, or so three cantos. So we are towards the end of the second chapter, second canto. Last time we did this mantra, the 12th mantra. There are verses, but you know, uh, it's uh, uh, if it's in the Gita or other texts, it will be called a shloka. But if it is these verses are in the Upanishads, in the Vedas, they'll be called mantras. So these mantras, the twelfth one, we did it last time. And today we'll go to the thirteenth one. The twelfth one was Eko Vashi Sarva Bhutantaratma Ekamrupam Bahudayakaroti, Tamatmas <laughs> tamatmastham Yena dhira." What does that mean? Eternal peace is for those, and not for others, it's for those who can discern and who realize in their hearts that reality, who being one, the controller, the inner self of all, makes from a single reality, multiple realities. Anyway, we discussed this in detail last time, and we will go on to the 13th one. Let's just remember, these are the teachings being given by Yama, the lord of death, to the little boy, Najiketa, who asked about the ultimate mystery. What is the real, What am I? What's the reality of this universe? What's beyond death? And Yama gives him the highest teachings of the Upanishads, the non-dual Vedanta, that there is one non-dual reality. Non-dual means no second. This world is a world of multiplicity. It appears as so many things and yet the claim in vedanta the first bombshell is actually it isn't many there is an underlying i won't even say unity identity there is one reality underlying all of this and although it appears as many it's no two non dual means no two that means though it appears as many it's actually one which is which is without a second the second bombshell of uh, advaita of advaita vedanta the uh, the stunning claim is that this non-dual reality is you. Um, not you distinctly from everybody else, separate from everybody else. But that there is one non-dual reality and that is what we are. Um, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, Or Tattva Asi, you are that. So this, this is the theme. And this theme will be repeated again and again in these mantras. These mantras are very powerful. They are direct, powerful and highest pointers. They're directly pointing us towards the reality. Stick with any one of them. They will give you um, realization, enlightenment. And when I say stick with it, I don't mean repeating it like a mantra. So when you repeat a mantra like Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Bhagavate Vasudevaya, then you're supposed to repeat that. This is not something that you're supposed to repeat. You can repeat it if you like. It's a nice exercise. But the point is, this is something to be understood first. You understand it through the intellect. And then you see it as a fact. So that's how you use this mantra. And we will see. Um, the whole point of studying this and teaching this is to, to help people to see, understand it and then see it as a fact, as an obvious fact, in fact, already accomplished, always there. Um, the 13th one, let's see. Nityo Nityanam Chetanas Chetananam Eko Bahunam Yo Vidadhati Kamam Tamatmas Tham Genanupasyantidhira Tesham Shanti Shashwati Nainetare Eternal peace is for those and not for others who are discerning and who have realized in their hearts Him who being eternal among the ephemeral consciousness among the conscious alone dispenses the desired objects to, to many. Alright, let's break this down and see what, it's, what it is saying. It's saying the same thing, what, what we saw last time and what we have been seeing all the time. It's saying the same thing, but in a different way. The 13th mantra. It's talking about Nityo anityana. Among the changing, among the ephemeral, Among the ever-changing display of this universe, it is the unchanging. Now, everything in this universe changes. Changes means things are born or they are created, and they change or evolve. They age and they deteriorate, and they die or are destroyed. That's what we see. Living beings, uh, uh, non-living things, from the tiniest mosquito which is born today to die tomorrow, uh, to the to the you know uh, the stars themselves, which live for billions of years, but they are equally created and they equally change and they equally die also one day. And indeed, our own bodies they're continuously changing. Anitya, anitya means there was a time when it was not an entity was not there before creation or birth, and there will be a time when it will not be after destruction or death. In this. Vast, ever-changing reality which which we experience. He says, the king of death, Yama, the lord of death, he says, the one unchanging in this ever-changing display. What is that? Uh, It's not that, that there is something called Atman, Brahman, which is one item among all items. There are millions of things in this universe, and they are all changing, And now we are claiming that among these millions of things, there's one thing called the Atman which is not changing. That's what we are talking about. No, no. If you look for it, the one unchanging among all the changing, never find it. Because there's nothing like that. In that case, what does he mean? What he means is that which is appearing to us, which we experience as the continuous changing universe. External world, always changing. Every entity, continuously changing. Appearing and disappearing. Our own thoughts, arising, playing around for a while and disappearing. Thoughts, emotions, memories, our experiences. All of that, continuously changing. That that which constitutes it, that which is its reality, is unchanging. Uh, What does that mean? It's like, you know, um, it's like say the clay uh, which was in a you know like a mound of clay and then the potter came and made different kinds of jars and pots out of it and one day uh, those pots will you know they'll be, they'll be there for a long period of time maybe one day they will break again but all throughout before the pots were made it was clay and one day when the pots break it still will be clay. And during the existence of various kinds, shapes, sizes of pots, it's still the clay, the same clay. The clay as clay is unchanging. The names changed. The shapes changed. The use changed. At first you called it clay, just a lump of clay. Then you called it a pot or a jar. Then you called it pot or, you know, broken pieces of pottery. But it was the same substance. All it was literally the same thing. That same thing did not change. Or like the gold and ornaments example, the same gold, which may be a brick of gold, which was melted and made into a necklace, and then it was again melted, and you wanted a bracelet. You the the goldsmith made that same thing. It melted your necklace down and made a bracelet and gave it to you. Now notice what happened. That that same item, the same, same substance, the same material, you called it a necklace earlier. Now you call it a bracelet. You called it, it looked like this earlier. Now it looks like this. You know? the shape changed. And you put it on your neck earlier. Now you put it on your wrist. So the name changed, the shape changed, the user changed. But did the material change? No, it's your gold unless the goldsmith was a little dishonest, in which case he might have pilfered a little bit of your gold away when he changed it, melted it, and made it into a different ornament. But it was literally the same material. Now, can we say, in the midst of the changing necklace and bracelet, in the midst of the lump of clay and the jar or pot, is there one unchanging, same material, same gold, same clay? Yes, we can say that. And notice, it does not mean when it says the one unchanging amidst all changing, it does not mean um, that among all the pots which are created and they exist and they are destroyed, there will be one eternal pot. No, that's crazy. There's no such thing. It does not say that. Among all the jewels, the ornaments you've got, golden ornaments, um, they're all changing. They can be melted. They can be made into different forms. But there's one eternal uh, ornament, an eternal necklace or eternal bracelet. No, 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 no. You'll never find it that way. But what it means is the substance remains the same. The reality remains the same. Well, that's great, you might say. But in that case, what uh, what about our experience in this world? I understand clay and pot. I understand gold and a neck- necklace, but in this world of changing, you know, all things are born, they exist, they change, and they disappear. What's constant? What is the material? I understand that you're pointing to the same thing, but there's one reality which is unchanging. But what is that reality which is unchanging? We only see change. So, Vedanta will say, and most of us we know, it will say that it is existence itself, being itself, existing things are born. Existing things or existing beings, they change, they age, they are damaged or injured or they age um, and they die or they are destroyed. But existence itself is not born, existence itself doesn't age, existence itself does not die, existence itself does not change, existence itself remains the same, that one reality. So this is called sat, pure being or existence itself. Somebody might complain here. That sounds awfully theoretical. You know, I understand what a pot is and I understand what a uh, necklace is. I understand what a man or a woman is, um, a star or a, you know, like a grain of sand is. But what is existence itself? Existing things we understand. But what is existence itself? It's, isn't it sort of a, a theoretical abstraction? Well, from a Vedantic perspective, it's just the opposite. It's like saying... I understand what is a necklace and a bracelet, but what is this gold? Isn't it an abstraction? No, no, no. Gold is the reality. In fact, compared to gold, your necklace and bracelet are abstractions. It is the reality called the gold which is, uh, which is framed into, which is fashioned into a necklace or a bracelet. Oh. So the reality is always the gold itself. The reality is existence itself, being itself and we impose names and forms and functions nama Rupa, vyavahara and we call them existing things from a vedantic perspective advaitic perspective existing things are like uh, abstractions existence itself is the reality and what reality is that he will say later atmastam you are that reality that's the next second devastating thing it will advaitic insight You are that pure being. You are that existence. Sat. Chandogya Upanishad. When Shweta Ketu's father tells him, Tatvam Asi. You are that. That means what? That what? That Sat. That pure being. Which is the one unchanging, which appears as all changing things. So the one unchanging among all changing things. And then next. Chetanam. The one consciousness among all conscious beings. So there is, we are all conscious here. We are all of us, we are listening to this class. We are sitting here. We are all conscious. And we are surrounded by conscious other people. There are animals and creatures all around us, which are conscious. But they are not conscious by themselves. There is something that lends consciousness to them. They shine in borrowed consciousness. And this we know through our Vedantic inquiry that I am conscious, but what exactly am I this consciousness? Not the body. I am conscious of the body. Not even the mind, because I am conscious of the mind. At this point, someone might say, hold on, not so fast. The mind is conscious. so consciousness studies, studies the mind. The so mind is conscious. Well, yes and no. According to Vedanta, the mind, thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas, even the sense of I, the ego, it's all They are not conscious in themselves. These are movements of the mind. They are shining in borrowed consciousness. Borrowed from whom? Borrowed from consciousness itself. Borrowed from you. You are the one consciousness. You shining. Thoughts, feelings, emotions are lit up by your light. And they appear conscious to you. What is the proof? Well, the proof is that we are aware of our thoughts, feelings, emotions. If you are aware of them, they are as much objects as this physical body. They are as much objects as this piece of cloth. I'm aware of it. It's an object. I'm aware of this body. It's an object. Similarly, I'm aware of thoughts. I'm aware of emotions. I'm aware of ideas. They are also objects. That which is aware is consciousness. Now, it is the one consciousness among all conscious entities. What are conscious entities? All living beings are conscious. You know, until recently, scientists did not consider even the higher animals to be conscious. I mean, that's just so crazy. We we intuitively know that higher animals are conscious. And scientists would tell us, no, no, no. Uh, This, uh, they didn't, I mean, to begin with, they had absolutely no idea what consciousness is. And even now they don't. But at that time, they would say that, oh, uh, you know, animals are not conscious. Uh, Human beings are conscious, but whatever consciousness is. Now it is that everybody accepts, all scientists accept that your dog is conscious. You might say, I always knew that. You did, but the scientists doubted it. But now they all agree. Every living being is conscious. At least all the higher living beings are conscious. And probably all living beings are conscious. That's what scientists already accept. Now there are theories theories which say that Even non-living things, there might be a basal level of consciousness in all non-living things. Anyway, still, what Upanishad is saying, whatever you consider to be conscious, uh, all around you, living beings, whatever you consider to be conscious, among them there is one thing which is consciousness itself. Things which are not conscious by themselves, Shankaracharya in his commentary will say, for example, fire in things which are not fire, like water. And yet water can behave like fire. It can become scalding hot. Just like fire burns, water can burn. Why? Because when you heat up the water, the fire enters into the water. The heat goes into the water and the water bubbles and boils. And that water, which is not supposed to be hot by itself, is like fire. It can burn just like fire. Similarly, there are objects which are not conscious in themselves, but which can borrow consciousness and behave as if conscious. What are these objects? Living beings, living bodies, living brains and nervous systems, and more precisely, minds. Sukshma shadir, subtle body, mind. See, even in this body, it is not conscious by itself. It's borrowed its consciousness from the mind. And even the mind is not conscious by itself. It's borrowed its consciousness from you, the one consciousness. To put it very simply, in all conscious entities, Uh, There is one thing which is consciousness itself. Just like in all existing entities, there is one thing that is existence itself. Existing entities change. Birth, growth, aging, death. But existence itself does not change. Conscious entities change. More conscious, less conscious, unconscious, apparently, waking, dreaming, deep sleep, uh, restless mind, calm mind, emotional mind. Peaceful mind, all these are changes in so called conscious entities. But behind them is one unchanging consciousness. And then he says, Eko Bahunam, one amidst the many, among all these existing entities, millions and billions of human beings, uh, non living, uh, non human beings. And who knows if there are aliens in other stars and other planets and all? Among all these um, uh, living and non-living things, there is one existence. Is one. Similarly, among all conscious entities, so many living beings, so many minds, so many conscious. In every mind, conscious thoughts, emotions, ideas, memories. Among all of them, consciousness is one. Eko bahunam. Eko one. Bahunam. Amidst the many. Now. This one existence. Among all. Uh, changing existent, existing things. One unchanging existence. Among all changing existing things. One unchanging consciousness. Among all changing conscious. Um, entities. The one reality. In this variety. Of uh, realities. This one thing. The first one is. Uh, the unchanging among the changing is called sat, pure being. The co- one consciousness which lends consciousness to all conscious entities is chit, pure consciousness. Now, also what is implied here is, when he says, Eko bahunam one amidst the many. It is that one unchanging which is itself appearing as all changing entities. Just as it is the one gold alone which appeared as the necklace, which now appeared as as your bracelet. It is that one lump of clay alone, which now appears as so many kinds of pots and uh, jars. Similarly, it is that one existence alone, which appears as many existing things. It is that one consciousness alone, which gives us all kinds of conscious experiences. That's what is being said here. Eko Bahu Another implication. Where do I find this one existing thing? Where will you find this one gold which is in all ornaments? Well, you will find it in the ornaments itself. Where will you find this one consciousness which is behind all conscious experiences? Just like that, you will find it in all conscious experiences itself. Where will I find the one? I can see the many. You will find the one in the many itself. Just like that. So this this is very important. With eyes closed, with eyes open, there's this one reality underlying all our variety of experiences. And then switch. So this he's talking about Satchidananda, the Brahman, existence consciousness. Then he says, "Yo Yovidadati Kaman. This surprising switch, that one which grants all wishes. So you see the structure of this first line. He is talking about Nirguna Brahman, pure consciousness, Brahman, the ultimate reality, existence, consciousness. So, Swami, you are not mentioning bliss. Why are you so um, uh, so miserly about bliss? You are talking about infinite existence, infinite consciousness. But what about, about infinite bliss? It's coming. Hold on. Next, next mantra. So, infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, Satchidananda, Nirguna Brahman, the absolute reality, Advaita Vedanta, well understood. But now. In the same line, he switches to Saguna Brahman, the God who fulfills all our desires. One who loves us, sustains us, guides us, protects us. Uh, Yo kama. That one who grants us all our wishes. So that same one who is Nirguna Brahman is also Saguna Brahman. uh, Swami Vivekananda said, we Hindus worship a transcendent, immanent God. Transcendent pure being, pure consciousness, beyond everything, immanent, in and through this entire universe, the creator, preserver, and destroyer of this universe, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara. So always uh, you, you will see this same structure. Even if you look at the earlier mantra, which we did last time, notice exactly the same thing. The structure of the mantra is the same. Let me read out the two together. The 12th mantra was Eko Vashi Sarva Bhutan Ekam Rupam Bahuda So, it is Brahman, the one, Sarva Bhutan Taratma, who is the inner self of all beings, yeah. existence, consciousness, bliss, or pure consciousness, Drik, the, the seer, the witness consciousness. Ekam Rupam Bahudaya The one underlying reality which appears as multiple forms in this universe. You can call this Nirguna Brahman, although the moment you talk about one appearing as the many, already Saguna Brahman is there, then but then he makes it very clear. Vashi, the inner controller. Inner controller, that means God who is the inward controller of all beings. That is clearly the God of religion, Saguna Brahman. So the first line in the 12th mantra was Nirguna Brahman and Saguna Brahman, the ultimate reality of this universe. In the 13th mantra, you see, Nitya Nityanam, the one unchanging existence among all changing existing things. The one consciousness which gives consciousness to all conscious entities. One which appears as the many. But the one which grants our desires. So it immediately goes from Nirguna Brahman to Saguna Brahman. Same structure, you see. That. It, the, the first line of the 12th mantra, first line of 13th mantra, they're talking about the same thing. Nirguna Saguna. Um, the impersonal, personal. Transcendent, immanent. In the Arati song, which we sing in our ashram everywhere, Khandana Bhava Bandhana, Jagavandana, there there is um, Nirguna Gunamaya, transcendent, beyond all qualities, pure being, pure awareness, existence itself, awareness itself, bliss itself, but also Gunamaya. That, that reality is surrounded by maya the power of maya and the producer of this universe here it says vashi controller of all and Vidadhāti kāman, the one who gives us all whatever we wish for god of god of religion moving on next line tam ye anupashyanti dhira tam here is the great identity that reality, which is Nirguna Brahman and Saguna Brahman, Atmastham, the one who Atmastham means as the self, as grounded in the self. That reality which we are talking about, which is the one unchanging existence among all existing things, which is the one consciousness which gives consciousness to all conscious entities, which is the one which is appearing as the many in the universe, which is also the God of the universe, that one you see as Atmastham, Tatvamasi aham brahmaasmi i am that how anupashyanti these words are so you no know, uh, what would i say compact they they include so much anupashyanti pashyanti means seeing seeing means here realizing knowing but anu anu means paschat. that means after 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 what how do you see this after shravana manana nididhyasana after the upanishads that means learning this from the teacher, just like the little boy Nachiketa is learning from Yama. Just like we are learning from a teacher. Anupashyanti. You don't see it with your eyes. You don't uh, hear it with your ears. You know, you, you can't, you don't, the senses cannot objectify it. You cannot think about it. Or you can't argue your way. Intellect cannot understand it by arguing. You cannot argue your way to it. It's the reality revealed by the Upanishads Taught to us by the teacher. And in that way, when we come to see it, we get it. Of course, it's not a question of believing just because the teacher said, Kathopanishad is saying this, I must believe it. No, no, no. I must come to see it myself. But see it in the way it is being pointed out. That's the um, uh, use of a teacher in the text. It's like a pointing. You see like this. Anupashyanti. But everybody can do it? No, no, no. Dhira. There are qualifications of the students. Dhira here literally means the spiritual hero, the patient one, the one who has got the requisite qualifications. And we know what the qualifications are. Viveka, Vairagya, the sixfold disciplines, treasures, and mumukshuttwam. Viveka, discernment between eternal and non-eternal. Vairagya, dispassion for the non-eternal. The sixfold treasures. And say, how many times is he going to say this? Well, as many times as it is uh, required and plus one more time beyond that also. Sixfold treasures. Shama, quietness of the mind, control of the mind. Dhamma, control of our senses. Then, uh, titiksha, spiritual toughness. That I will pursue this no matter what troubles the world and the body and the mind throw at me. Then, um, so this resoluteness, you know, in the face of problems. Then uparati, a kind of gathering in. Uparati, literally means flowing out and enjoying the word, having a party. What's the word? Having a blast, having a blast. It's just the opposite of having a blast. Uparati, pulling back. And then um, samadhana, once you have pulled back, you have got time and peace of mind and energy left over. So samadhana, settle down, settle down. Take time, quieten down, slow down. Withdraw, and then settle down on your spiritual pursuit. Here, settle down on Vedanta, and then Shadha. Uh, Shadha uh, is uh, uh, the that faith which will sustain us until enlightenment. One teacher put it beautifully: Shraddha, the faith. In the beginning, it is you can call it faith that uh, I believe this teaching and the teacher and the tradition. I take it seriously. That much is necessary. And once we have a breakthrough, once it becomes real for us, the change, Shraddha, the faith continues. You no longer call it faith or Shraddha. You now call it Nishtha. Nishtha means, um, how do I put it? Stabilization, dedication. Uh, It becomes a way of life for you. It becomes your reality then. Nishtha. Did I get all six? Shama, Dhamma, Titiksha, Uparati, Samadhana, Shraddha. So six treasures. And then, mumukshutton, intense desire to be free. Now, it's, that's a tall order, I must be honest, I don't have that intense desire to be free. I have a little desire to be free, but not much more. Then what do I do? Those earlier ones, viveka, vairagya, the six treasures, those ones are things which we can cultivate. And as we cultivate this, the intensity of our desire for freedom will grow. So, the person who is equipped with these is called dhira. So, to begin with, a person has to be a dhira who is qualified um, to transform this knowledge into enlightenment. And as we make a breakthrough, as this becomes real and a fact, then the meaning of dhira changes. The meaning of dhira is the one who can patiently apply himself or herself to living this truth. If it is true that I am the one consciousness which illumines the mind, the mind shines by the light borrowed from me, I am not the mind, then I am not upset with the upset mind. I am not impatient with the impatient mind. I am not restless with the restless mind. I am that ever even unbroken consciousness. Now, can I live that? And believe me, the world is going to help you to do that. The world is going to uh, give you so many challenges. And more than that, your own mind is going to give you so many challenges. It will be a very nice place to learn. Like a gym, a spiritual gym. Where we can um, live this truth. We try to be centered in it. When you try to be centered in it, it is called dhira. You are trying to be dhira. And then final meaning of dhira will be the, the enlightened one. Who is... Effortlessly, this Brahman. That I, I know that I am that already, and um, it's it's a sahaja, like a uh, natural state which comes. Then, Tejasam, Shanti, Shashwati. For such ones, those were qualified seekers. Those who patiently live this truth as they make the breakthrough and they naturally embody it finally as a Jivan Mukta, fully enlightened one. Tesham, for them. What is their reward? Shanti Shashwati, eternal peace. What kind of peace? This is the everlasting peace. It's not the peace which goes into pieces. <laughs> it's the everlasting unbroken peace which is our very nature. This Shanta in the Mandukya Upanishad, seventh mantra of the Mandukya Upanishad, your name is Shantam. Shantam Shivam Advaitam. Shantam Shivam Advaitam means non-duality. This non-dual uh, peace itself. This peace is eternal because it's your real nature. Because it's the one unchanging among all changing things. This the same thing as the peace itself. It is the one consciousness by whose light everything is lit up. It is the one thing which appears as the many. It is the one piece which appears as the restless mind, the upset emotions, the uh, ever-changing, restless, violent world. It's the same piece which appears in this way. You see the, How crazy is that? Well, it's crazy and it's wonderful. You know, that uh, monk, Paramahamsa monk who came to Dakshineshwar when Sriram Krishna was there, Sri Krishna mentioned him. This is like a, As simple as a little boy very pure and always smiling, always remained in his hut, but would come out and laugh delightedly at the world and would say, wow, was wonderful, glory. What is the glory? What is wonderful about it? It's this. How pure consciousness is appearing as so many conscious experiences, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, thinking, um, loving, hating, quarreling, desiring, peaceful, restless. How that one existence is appearing as all the living and long living things, from the river Ganga to the every grain of um, sand in the bank of the river, to the Dakshineshwar temple, all of the sky and the earth, all of that is that one existence. How the one homogeneous non-dual reality is appearing as the many, uh, bahuda, bahuna, in the midst of the many. That is the wonderful thing, and this monk would. And laugh in joy. Sometimes he would roll on the uh, on the uh, in, in the uh, you know the sand of the uh, bank of the river <laughs> in joy. It's an amazing thing. It's it's an incredible thing. And the beauty of it is all this amazing display is one with you. It's you. You are appearing as all this, exactly as much as whatever amazing thing, whatever awful thing you see in a dream is literally you and not one thing other than you. So, just like that. Te Shanti. This is peace. Peace is not just a calm state of the mind. It is, this is peace. No matter what the state of the world, no matter what the state of the body, no matter what the state of the mind, what the state of the emotions, you are peace. You're not that at peace. You are peace itself. Te Shanti. For them is peace. Eternal. Shashwati. Netaresha. Not for the others. Who are the others? Trankaracharya uh, explains. This is the commentary on the earlier verse, the 12th verse. The others who do not get this reality. Why do they not get this reality? Because they are so attached to the uh, to the world, asakta. So attached to the world, my wealth, my health, my um, um, uh, father, mother, husband, wife, children, friends, society, um, uh, uh, my popularity, my political or economic power or you know status, uh, and all of these attractive things in the world gadgets places clothes what not all of this i'm so involved in all of this baya sakta buddhi my intellect is involved in this intellect says these are nice things and next thing the moment i say these are nice things in sanskrit there is a the term for this shobhana adhyasa. shobhana means in, in in indian languages shobhana means nice um, what shall i say not even pleasant um Beautiful, appealing. Beautiful, yes, appealing. Uh, Beautiful, appealing. um, And the moment it's beautiful, appealing, Shobhana. Adhyasa means superimpose. I impose that beauty, that appealing nature on the world, which is neutral actually. Shobhana. So Shobhana Adhyasa, the moment I do that, I'm attracted to it. The moment I'm attracted to it, I want it. The moment I want it, I am engaged in action to get those things. And the moment these some things are great and nice and shobhana for me, appealing for me, they are bound to be things which are not nice for me, not appealing for me, unpleasant for me, terrifying for me. And so that's it. Then what happens if you are so involved in the world? Avivekenam. The next result, the inner result is viveka, the power of discernment. I am unable to discern the good from the bad, and deeper, philosophically, eternal from the non-eternal, the one existence, the gold in the midst of the ornaments. I'm so fixated on the ornaments. I don't see it in all the ornaments. It's the same reality. The one consciousness behind all conscious experiences. I'm so fixed up with my messed up with my own experiences. I like these experiences. This is what I want to see. That I don't want to see. I forget behind the both seeing both is one consciousness. Which is appearing as this and that also. Yeah. So that evenness of mind. The sameness of vision. That is lost. Aviveke naam. Inability to discern. So this is called ignorance. Because I am unable, uh, unable to discern. The veil of ignorance remains constant. Um, That I am unable to see that underlying non-dual reality. I am unable to see the gold underlying the ornaments, the one clay underlying all pottery, the one consciousness underlying all conscious experiences, good and bad. So such people, iteration, such others, they will not get that eternal bliss. Now, what about bliss itself? Let's go to the next one. The fourteenth one. We're going to talk about bliss now. Tad iti katam tu bhati What is the English translation? How shall I know that supreme, unspeakable bliss? which they realize directly as this. Is it self effulgent Does it shine distinctly or does it not? All right. To do this properly. It would take at least one class for this one particular mantra. But let me do as much justice as I can. Let's break it up and see separately. Tade tad iti manyante. Okay. The Sanskrit words, tat etat iti. Tat means that. Etat means this. Manyante, know it, understand it, realize it. Who realize it? The enlightened ones, those who we have been speaking about in the 12th mantra and the 13th mantra. What do they realize? They realize that as this. (laughs) What is that? That is um, um, God. Pure consciousness with the power of Maya, which creates this vast universe, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, Ishwara Bhagavan. What is this? It is um, consciousness itself, illumining one mind and one body. That is this. They realize this. Tattvamasi, That thou art. Aham Brahmasmi. This one consciousness which I am, is the same one with the power of Maya as the creator, preserver, and destroyer of the universe. I and God are one consciousness. story Eckhart's beautiful, you know, he says, the ground of God and the ground of my soul are one and the same ground. He's talking about the ground here. Those wise ones see that as this. Further, what is that? He says, aniddeshyam Sukham is that inconceivable ultimate bliss so ananda, bliss uh, limitless bliss so sadhus in uttarakhand they put it so nicely in hindi you know uh, anant sukh, sukh hai loot lo <laughs> there is limitless joy here infinite joy what do i say loot loot is the english word loot literally it has come from the hindi word actually loot is to to um, take as much as you want it's free uh, grab it all here is this limitless joy. What is this limitless joy which is we call God? Satchidananda. Limitless joy. That limitless joy is exactly this. That Tat is this. What is this? This consciousness. Not body, not mind, the witness, awareness which I am. This is limitless happiness. How so? See, we do not know what that is and therefore that limitless happiness is and therefore we chase it. We chase it in so many ways. We try to get it in this world outside through our bodies and minds and through the world. There is one way of um, getting it is karma, pleasure, seeking pleasure. As much as possible, eat, drink, be merry, go to parties, um, you know, uh, what is, is called uh, binge-watch television serials, Um Browse on the internet, whatever you call it, or social media, or all, all of these is bhoga, is 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 enjoyment. Trying to enjoy, and why do I do that? Because it makes me happy. I want endless happiness. I want limitless happiness, but I don't get it. It comes a little bit and it disappears, and I'm left with exhaustion. Like Somerset mom, mom, he says, you know, that uh, um, if you chase pleasure, single-mindedly chase pleasure, very soon you will find nothing pleasing anymore. If you single-mindedly chase pleasure, very soon you find nothing pleasing anymore. This is the problem with bhoga, trying to get happiness through sense enjoyment, some kind of contact with the world outside, with people outside, with objects outside, with desirable things and situations and places. That's one way. Another way is, a little more, a little better way is Artha. That means um, there's a joy in in accumulation. I have seen people who lead pretty simple lives. They are not partying at all. They are in fact working quite a bit, um, but they are accumulating large amounts of wealth. They are engaged in working, what do they call, 24 by 7, 24 by 7. And what are you getting out of it? A lot of wealth. More and more money. More and more shares. More and more property. And there's a joy in that. So they seek happiness in that way. Again, that joy is not limitless. It is subject to coming and going. It's exhausting. And it increases and decreases. It's more or less. I get this much and my neighbor has got that much. I remember this person... Who was very interested in spiritual life and he came and talked with me and we were talking about spiritual practices and he was going on a cruise with his wife um, and he said yeah I've had enough I'm, I'm very uh, I've, I've done well in life I've got whatever I wanted much more than that I don't need anymore there's no end to it then he came back from the cruise and he said uh, actually this month months later actually is uh, changing his job for a better job and why? Because the whole thing turned out that in the cruise, he met some people who were obviously rich and very well-to-do and they thought about a better opportunity, a better um, uh, house in the suburbs and um, better pay options and stock options. But maybe just that much more I can do it. It's within my reach. See, this is what happens. So uh, accumulation, working hard to accumulate, that's another source of joy. But there's no end to it. More and more and more. As they say, even if you win the rat race, you are a rat at the end of it. That doesn't mean that you won't work. That doesn't mean that you don't need money. That doesn't mean that you don't need a good lifestyle. But one must be intelligent enough to see where it is enough. That whatever remains after this is just, you know, they say in Hindi, 19, 1920, 19 or 20, It's just a little different, a little better, more of just a little more of this. But time is going away. Energy is going away just to get a little more of the same thing. Then there are those who are not after pleasure, who are not after accumulating money and shares and property, but they maybe they're very engaged in doing what they are. That's even better. We call them workaholics, workaholic. 24 by 7, why? Not, I mean, they're getting money, it's good money, but really I enjoy what I'm doing. And that can be great. There are people... So, uh, these are different ways, but that happiness also is limited. The Gita analyzes this in three ways. Tamasic happiness, Rajasic happiness, Sattvic happiness. There is a Tamasic happiness, the happiness of being lazy, the happiness of uh, of sleep and uh, indolence and indulgence or the happiness of uh, endless social media and TV. That's also Tamasic because the definition of Tamasic happiness is uh, Mohanam, delusion delusion. There is nothing positive in it at all. You're not really getting anything out of it, just wasting your time and energy. So, that's all the social media happiness and everything, it's all delusion. tamasic. Better than that is rajasik happiness. What is rajasic happiness? That comes out of contact with desired things. These are nice things, appealing things, I will chase them. These things, these activities, these people, this kind of food, that kind of um, place, so all of these these activities so rajasic definition of rajasic happiness that which is it's like nectar amrita at the beginning pariname Vishameva, like poison at the end all these happinesses which i chase in the world actively they are very enjoyable to begin with they give pleasure but they end up being exhausting And they end up leaving me with no positive, uh, you know, nothing permanent, no uh, sense of enrichment at the end. Higher than this, the Gita says, sattvic happiness. What's the definition of sattvic happiness? It is yatta dagre visham eva pariname amritopavam, which seems like poison in the beginning, but it is like nectar in the end. So any kind of higher pursuit, you want classical music, as distinguished from pop music or rock music. Uh, to enjoy classical music, we need training. We need a frame of mind, cultivation. For, for rock music, you really don't need that. To sing it, you need, but uh, those we can see kids go there and start jumping and dancing immediately. They don't need training for that. But that which requires training, uh, literature, philosophy, science, creativity, in, in art, dance, any kind of Uh, reading, writing, all of these things, at first, it's hard work. You need to apply yourself to it. But in all of these pursuits, you get a higher, deeper joy, a purer joy. The joy of a scholar, joy of an artist, joy of a scientist. This is sattvic. It's born of cultivation of the mind and the senses. But even there, it's still not spiritual. It's the joy of the gods in heavens. Devatas. Still not spiritual. Because that also comes and goes. That also increases and decreases. That also ultimately goes away. It's much better than the earlier one. Uh, the uh, Tamasic or Rajasic. And the Sattvic joy leaves you feeling uh, enriched. So often this kind of spiritual cultivation, reading texts, that can also be Sattvic. It's actually a Sattvic activity but beyond this what he is talking about is paramam sukham is not rajasic sattvic or tamasic sukha uh, happiness it's not the happiness of accumulation not the happiness of uh, indulgence in pleasure seeking it's not the uh, happiness of you know just being um, lazy and laying around or being a workaholic none of these it's that it's that uh, it's the self itself. It, it's, it's pure consciousness itself. It's the sheer unlimited nature of our existence. That I am limitless being. I am limitless awareness. This realization itself, that itself is uh, uh, limitless happiness. Uh, it, that's difficult to understand. That's why he's asking, Katham vijaniyam bhati va. How do I get that happiness? How do I get that happiness? Is it um experienceable and it is is it manifested in different ways? That's the question. Shankaracharya, let's see the um, let's see the answer he gives in his uh, commentary. He says, Prakrita Purusha Vang For an ordinary person, for a person who's not a spiritual seeker, who has not studied and understood Vedanta, for that person this uh, is beyond language beyond thought it's it's beyond uh, the capacity to understand it at all it's like this because it's not an object this bliss is not apprehended as you know as i am feeling this bliss of the atman if you're feeling it it might be bliss it might be happiness but it's not the atman whatever is objective is a manifestation It's a manifestation of the same thing, of that ultimate reality. But it's not that ultimate reality by itself. Um, Just as existing things are not pure existence. Just as all our conscious experiences, thoughts, feelings, perceptions, they are not consciousness itself. Just like that. All kinds of happinesses in the world, where Tamasik, Rajasik, Sattvic, whether accumulation, whether study, art, music, whatever it is, or work, they are not Ananda. They are not that infinite place. Then, what is the relationship? That pure being, just as that pure being, Sat, is present in all existing things, just as it is that one consciousness which lights up all our conscious experiences, similarly, it is that one Ananda itself which is experienced in all other kinds of happiness in the world, and which is your own nature. It's another example let me give you. The question he asks is, is it manifest or not? Is it knowable? Is it experienceable or not? This question of Ananda is asking. Is it first of all realizable, the infinite bliss? Second, is it specifically realizable in in, you know, like, I get the joy of eating a cookie. I get the joy of reading a book or watching a movie like that. Can I get the joy of um, the Atman, Brahman? That's the question he's asking. It's like watching your face in the mirror or in the camera. I can see my own face in this um, um, Zoom app. It's the camera is taking a picture and showing me. Now, the mirror supports the reflection. Your face in the mirror is not actually your face. It's a reflection. But it's not other than your face also. This is very important to realize. The face which you see in the mirror is not your real face. Actually, your real face is here. The say I'm seeing in the computer is not my real face. The real face is here. However, it's not other than my real face, because it depends on my real face. It's my real face is reflected there, or it's pictured there. Uh. Those ones have the advantage, the reflections have the advantage that we can see them. The original face, my real face, it cannot be seen directly. Similarly, pure being, it cannot be appreciated directly, it cannot be objectified. But it is seen in all existing beings. Pure existence is appreciated in all existing, existing things. Pure consciousness is never an object, but it is that which makes all objective conscious experiences possible pure bliss is never one type of objective happiness like eating a cookie or reading a book but it is that which makes all happiness possible more important if that doesn't sound very satisfactory more important it is you what is that pure being it's you what is that pure consciousness it's you what's that pure ananda bliss it's you that pure being is without limit, the pure consciousness is without limit, and that pure bliss is also without limit. It is you yourself. That's what he's trying to say here. He says, but for those who are who have not cultivated, who are not Dhira, who do not have the qualifications for them, it is beyond language, it is beyond mind. Wang manasayor agocharam. Why? Because all that their minds and language is capable of grasping is object. To them it appears as if completely non-existent. But for the enlightened one, the one who sees this, one who understands this, what happens is just the opposite. He says, Te yatta This pure being, pure consciousness, pure bliss, those ones, the enlightened ones, those who understand what is being said here, those who see where it is pointing, for them, pratyaksham eva. As if direct, it's like seeing. It's like hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. It's like, it's more than seeing. Vivekananda said, that ultimate reality, your nature, it cannot be known, but you must not go away with the feeling that it is unknowable. It is more than knowable. So for the ones who see this, for them, pratyaksham. Pratyaksham means directly perceptible. It's the one thing that exists. It's as clear as daylight itself. What is clear as daylight? That I am immortal existence. That I am the one consciousness which lights up the uh, the universe of my experience. That I am limitless bliss, which is sometimes reflected in the, you know, the paltry happiness which flows by, which I experience through my senses or my mind. And therefore, I am complete. There's nothing this world can give me which will which can add a little bit to me. Nothing that the world can even take away from me. Nothing in, therefore in the world can tempt me or terrorize me. Because the world cannot take this away from me. If you shatter the mirror in which the face is reflected, well, the nice reflection will be gone. But that's nothing to the original face. It's exactly as it was always. Similarly, if uh, my happiness which is reflected in the mind, if it's shattered, all my happiness goes away. Some problem happens in the world. It's still nothing to me. Because what I was experiencing in that happy mind is nothing other than the original is always with me. It's always there. I am that always. That is very clear to the enlightened one. But to be like that, Shankaracharya, he gives. Who are these people? Who can realize this? He says, Nivritta Yeshana ye brahmana. So here, Brahmin does not mean the caste Brahmins. It means the spiritual seekers, men, women, whoever they are, American, Indian, those who are spiritual seekers of what kind? Nivritta Eshana. Eshana means desire. Nivritta means which have, um, be, have seized, have, have been wiped out. What are these desires? Fundamentally, this es- the word Eshana has a technical meaning. Three fundamental desires. Putreshana, Vitteshana, Lokeshana. This is from the Upanishads. Uh, from um, the Upanishad, it's there. Putreshana means literally the desire for children. So, therefore, um, you know, marriage and sexuality, children, all of that comes in there. The desire for that. Second, Vittesana. Vitta literally means money, wealth, prosperity, success, you know, stuff in the world whatever kind it could be literally be money it could be honor it could be power all of that i'll be a billionaire i'll be the president of usa Uh, wait a minute i'll be both Hmm? right so um that's with and the third location um the desire to go to heaven after death so this is remember the original um the vedic culture There is a technical meaning to all of these. I'll just mention it for completion's sake. Desire for children is not literally what we take it to be. And there is a Vedic meaning for that. So, in the Vedic context, the desire for children was, your children will perform the Vedic Shraddha. It's all in the Vedic context. The Vedic ritual, which will ensure that in the next life, you get a human birth. The Shraddha. So this is a, a ritual the Hindus perform for their ancestors. That's why you need children. It's all related to the Vedas. Why do you need children? So that the children will perform the, the ritual after my death, so that I get heaven after death and, and come back to the human world uh, next time, going to get a good human birth. So children. Then vitta ishana here has a technical meaning. The vitta means wealth. But what is the wealth in, in the Vedic context? In the Vedic context, wealth is that which is used for Vedic fire sacrifices, um, the karmakanda, which ensures that not will I, not only I will get a human birth in my next birth, but also after this death, I go to heaven, swarga, the Vedic heavens, not the spiritual heaven, the Vedic heavens. I have a wonderful post-mortem existence, not in the morgue, but in heaven. So that's That's the meaning of wealth in the Vedic context. It enables me to perform um, rituals which will ensure I go to heaven after death. And then Lokeshana. Lokeshana here means um, the the highest spiritual heaven which is uh, uh, Brahma Loka. Uh, That which comes through certain particular meditations, Vedic meditations. All of them are still Uh, within the realm of desire. Because even there, if they go to Brahma Loka, they'll still come back. They don't realize um, that they are the infinite Brahman. They come back to this world. So these three things have to be renounced. In a literal, simple, straightforward way, desire for uh, children, progeny, that kind of, which is karma, lust, passion, that is one. Second, greed. Sri Ramakrishna used to call it lust and greed greed which is accumulation in the world stuff wealth power position second third look none of them are bad in in the entirely in the worldly context not at all that's what constitutes the world but now you are trying to transcend the world so the, the second one is that and third one is the desire for heaven i remember once the swami was teaching us we were novices in our monastery so you have to give up the desire for heaven and we were all nodding vigorously. And we were all young monks. And he said, don't nod, nod so um, uh, easily. It, these days, people, modern people, we don't believe in heaven. That's why we said, oh, I give up the desire for heaven. And he, I still remember. He joked. You lot, you can't give up a one Rasgulla also. That means you know, sweet Bengali sweet, And you're going to give up heaven. It's just because you don't believe in heaven. That's all. That's why you say, I'll give it up. I don't I don't want heaven. So giving these three up, um, that's what sets us free. And then the Vedantic teaching takes hold. I wanted to complete, there's only one more verse left, one more mantra, but that mantra is so famous. It's maybe one of the most famous Upanishadic mantras. And there this uh, sun, moon, stars, lightning and fire shine not, that shining, everything else shines, by its light, everything is lit up. It's literally Swami Vivekananda's favorite Upanishadic mantra. So we'll do it next time. All right. Let me now see. There are comments and questions quickly. Gaurav says when we investigate changing and unchanging Drid Vivek, there's still some sense of easeness. If we investigate further, we'll find that the sense of unchanging eyes also appearance in the same condition in which mental space energies are appearing. True, but that eye is appearing to what? That, the pure subject without any objective content, that that never changes. That is not in the realm of changing or unchanging. It's beyond change. So that's what they're talking about, pure consciousness itself. Girish says Microsoft is paying $30 billion to buy OpenAI company that dreams close to creating artificial general intelligence. Penrose says they're skeptical because consciousness is not computable. I actually mentioned this in the last class, I think. I mentioned, um, I heard a talk by Penrose about this. If human consciousness is universal consciousness reflected in the hardware of the mind, could not silicon-based hardware also reflect universal consciousness? It could. Uh, somebody asked me, so is it possible to have consciousness, artificial con- consciousness? Artificial intelligence is different. Artificial consciousness is different. Um, Dr. Anil Said pointed out that Um, deep blue, the computer, is very intelligent. It can beat chess grandmasters, but it does not feel anything. It's not conscious. But a mouse, which cannot beat a chess grandmaster, the mouse can feel. It can feel pain, for example. It's conscious. So consciousness and intelligence are not the same thing. However, the question here which Girish is asking is human consciousness is universal. uh, Consciousness reflected in the hardware of the mind. So Can we, in principle, can we generate hardware which will reflect that universally present consciousness and can become conscious? Exactly what was being said here. The one consciousness behind all conscious entities. It does not say that the conscious entity has to be a living being. Can it not be an artificial being, a construct? I think in Vedanta there is no objection to that. After all, even living beings are constructs, are biological machines from a vedantic perspective there's nothing particularly great about um, a living body it's it's a very extraordinary kind of biological machine that's all you are not the body you're not even the mind even the mind is a construct according to vedanta or sankhya or nyaya in fact all the indian philosophies none of them take mind to be spiritual they take mind to be a construct an object which is illuminated in um, uh, animated by the presence of consciousness so why not Why not uh, uh, some kind of hardware? need not be silicon-based. It would be based in something else. But some kind of artificial hardware which can be lit up. So you would not be creating consciousness. That's what Advaita Vedanta or Sankhya would say. Consciousness cannot be created. However, um, in consciousness studies, in robotics, we are not concerned with such lofty metaphysical things. We are concerned with uh, that can we practically create a conscious entity? Vedanta or Sankhya would say, why not? Practically, you can. Again, it also doesn't violate um, what Penrose is saying. Because in that case, the consciousness which would be reflected uh, in this this hardware, it would still be not computable. Still be not computable. The hardware part of it is computable, but uh, the consciousness reflected there also still would not be computable. Uh, Penrose, if I remember correctly, is talking about the collapse of the wave function. That's not computable in physics. And that, he says, is related to consciousness, which is also not computable. All right. Again, very esoteric physics and so beyond my um, knowledge. Rick says, Where can we find those six treasures? Are they in Vedansar? Yes, yes, they're in Vedansar. They are in um, Vivek Chudamani. Many of the introductory texts um, are. They talk about each of these six treasures and they define all of them also, one by one. Original source, where are they from? They are from the Upanishads. Not in one place. They have been collected from the Upanishads. You just saw in this Upanishad, talks about dhira. That's it. It doesn't give details of the six treasures and so on. This dhira, that word is used. How do you get those sixfold treasures? You look at the kind of test that Nachiketa was put through by Yama and then you see what kind of qualities Yama wanted in a seeker. Anuradha says, Shantam Shivam Advaitam. What is the meaning of Shiva? Is it peace? It is peace. Um, shantam. Shivam is auspiciousness. Is um, If you look at the the commentary, I think it is beyond... All suffering. So, Shantam, Shivam, Advaitam. You look at the talks which were given about the seventh mantra. There we have discussed it in detail. Sri Ram uh, says, Realize both his own face as image in the mirror so as to advise devotees kind of double conscious. Not double consciousness. The Jivan Mukta, the enlightened being knows that I am pure consciousness. And the body continues for a while. And it is one of the reasons why the enlightened being in the world, Mukti is important is, then you have an enlightened person who's teaching you. If um, I realize I'm pure consciousness and that's the end of the body and the body disappears at that moment, like in magic, but the problem will be then, we will never have any enlightened pe- people teaching us. So, um, Jivanmukti Mukti is Actually, the goal of Advaita Vedanta. Everything continues as it is. This body also continues as it is till its death. But you realize that you are Brahman. And the external life, body, everything just goes on. Prakhyat says, once this limitless anand is realized, does it remove the desire attraction of Tamasik, Rajasik, Sattvic pleasures? Yes, it does. It does. An outline might remain. So, Sridharma Krishna liked Jilipi, the Bengali that's sweet, jalebi. And uh, Swami Vivekananda liked ice cream. So, that outline of the desire might remain. But it's non-binding. It's non-binding. They talk about a burnt rope. A rope which has been burnt still looks like a rope. It's like a black outline of the rope is there. But if you try to really bind somebody with that rope, it will just fly away into ashes. It will just blow and it flies away into ashes. So enlightened person, their life is no longer defined uh, by these constructs which were gathered over, you know, lifetimes past before enlightenment. Whatever the shape of the mind and the body, it will continue. The physical shape of the body will be the same after enlightenment. Even the construct of the mind will be the same after enlightenment. But you are no longer the mind and body. And they no longer can bind you anymore. Ishwar says when you say animals are conscious, do you mean they have self-awareness as humans? No, not as humans, maybe, but they have self-awareness. Anybody who is a dog lover or a cat lover will say that the cats or the dogs are aware of others and of themselves also. <laughs> in some way, in some limited way. Jennifer says if we acknowledge the possibility of artificial consciousness, it does not er- erode the entire Hindu Vedantic worldview, hierarchy of beings, transmigration of the soul, etc. It can erode. But notice, it doesn't do any harm to the Advaitic worldview. The Advaitic worldview is that there's one consciousness appearing in all of these forms. And if suddenly the appearance becomes partly artificial, partly, you know, the jivas which have been appearing for, for uh, millennia or from lifetimes earlier, still, from an Advaitic perspective, the reality remains the same. The reality still remains the same. Yeah, But it will play havoc with the, the dualistic worldview. The general theistic uh, God, world, Jiva. Uh, that will be shaken up. Nila says is, is our individual consciousness part of the universal hologram. You can think of it that way. If the universal hologram is Ishwar of God. And the Jiva's consciousness is part of that universal hologram. But... Uh, Advaita Vedanta says, forget all that. Your individual consciousness is not individual. This consciousness, limitlessness, non-individuality of that consciousness, that's all that Advaita Vedanta wants to point out. Your living, we think, nobody doubts that we exist. But our problem is, we think it's a limited existence. Limited means it begins and ends. I will die. I was born. Then Vedanta comes and tells you, wait a minute. You exist, that's the truth. But this second part of it is not true. You think you are born and you think you will die. This existence which you are, you think it at a beginning, it will have an end because of the body. You have taken the existence of the body as your existence. Rather, you are existence. The body has a beginning and an end. Yes, I know I am consciousness, but that doesn't help me. This because of consciousness, I suffer. I have pleasure and pain, and waking, dreaming, deep sleep, depression, anxiety. Um, all kinds of humiliation, all kinds of failure, all kinds of suffering, because I'm conscious. So how is consciousness so good? The Vedanta comes and tells you, look, the consciousness itself is unlimited. It enables all the appearance of all of these, but you as consciousness, you are never uh, anxious. Consciousness is not anxious. It's the mind which is anxious, and you are not the mind. Consciousness is not unfulfilled. It's the mind which is unfulfilled, and you are not the mind. Consciousness is not scared or humiliated. It's the mind which feels scared or humiliated. Consciousness enables it to do that. But you as consciousness, you are not even the mind. So the limitlessness of consciousness, the limitlessness of existence, which existence and consciousness we always feel, that is shown by Vedanta. And that's already an accomplished fact. Okay, let's wrap it up. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Rama Krishna Rupa Namastu.